How we doing? Out there, somewhere. Um, it's Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is uh, Chris. Uh, I'm glad you're joining us. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're just joining us online for the very first time today, we love to direct you to our virtual connect card. You can find that on our homepage at RedeemerBloomington.org, uh, just below where you'll see this live stream happening. Uh, you can click on that, fill that out. Uh, that card uh, online will enable you to sign up for Realm. Realm is our online community network. It's, it's very important and vital, especially in these days when we're kind of separated from one another, to be able to stay connected online together. And Realm is just kind of a central hub for everything in our church. We can find out information about all sorts of community groups, classes, all sorts of things. And so you can check on that virtual connect card to sign up for Realm. You can also check if you're interested in learning more information about joining a community group. Uh, you can uh, share a prayer request. You can let us know how we can come alongside you in prayer in these days. Uh, please, please, uh, if you haven't connected with us, we, we'd love for you to, to fill that out and let us know who you are so we can get connected with you in every way possible. Uh, our community groups are, have all moved online in this season, and so uh, you can fill out the Connect card to sign up. You can also email uh, Pastor Kyle at kyle at redeemerbloomington.org, and he will get you connected with one of our community groups who are meeting over Zoom calls and uh, Google Hangouts, and so uh, it's a great way to be connected to one, to one another in this season, to have people journeying with you, praying with you, supporting you. Uh, we want to invite you as well, if you're, if you're newer, uh, to uh, join us for an online version of Redeemer in 10, uh, where you can learn more about uh, Redeemer, our, our vision, our mission, how you can get connected with the church, uh, even during this season. Uh, that will be happening next Sunday at 1 p.m. over a Zoom call. So that's Sunday, April 19th at 1 p.m. Uh, you can RSVP on Realm for that, or if you're not on Realm, you can send an email to info at RedeemerBloomington.org, and we'll get you the link for that. Uh, this week, we're offering another online class on Thursday night, uh, 8.15 p.m. Uh, my wife and I will be leading a class on thriving marriages. Uh, we'd love for you to join us for that. Um, uh, also, on Fridays, each Friday at 9 a.m., Pastor Kyle is praying through the Psalms at, at 9 a.m. Uh, you can find that link on Realm as well. And we want to just say thank you uh, to, to so many of you who have continued to be very faithful and generous in your giving in this season. We are, we are grateful for that. And we want to encourage all of you uh, to continue to exercise your faith in, in giving uh, generously uh, to Christ through his church here. You can continue to give to Redeemer online via Realm or, or through the giving tab on our website, RedeemerBloomington.org. Uh, we, we do pray that wherever the Lord has you today, that you will indeed uh, be able to just rejoice and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, for while we are lamenting much, uh, the resurrection at the same time gives us very much, very much everything. It gives us everything to celebrate. And so the truth is, when we really think on the reality of the resurrection, it gives us unshakable hope. Yeah, even in times like these, in fact, the truth of the resurrection should have us rejoicing and singing all the more boldly in the midst of days like these. For the risen Christ assures us that the coronavirus will not have the final word. Uh, the, the risen Christ assures us that this world is not our home, nor is it our hope. Uh, the risen Christ reminds us that we, what we need most desperately is not to get things back to the way they used to be. 
But what we need most of all is Christ, to know Christ, to find life in him. But there's a reality that we are often perplexed. We're often perplexed by the empty tomb. We're often filled with doubt. Or we just plain forget about it. Some of us are perplexed because we expect the empty tomb to not be empty. Like the women who first discovered it on that first Easter morning. Some of us are perplexed because the whole notion of Christ's resurrection sounds like a fable or an idle tale. Like it did to those apostles on that first Easter when they first heard about it. Sometimes we're perplexed and we doubt because our circumstances seem so overwhelming that we can't comprehend anything beyond the moment that we are in. In the moment of distress, we're, 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 we're so overwhelmed that, that we forget about the empty tomb and what it means. But when we consider it, when we remember, when we think on it deeply, the empty tomb compels us to marvel to be filled with awe, to worship and rejoice at the sure hope it communicates to us. And that's, that's what we see in our text today, uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles, and I invite you in your living room, wherever you're at, to, to stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But then they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful we are grateful for your love for us. Your love that, that moved you to send your son to, to live for us, to die for us, to be raised for us, victorious over sin and death. And that you enable us to share in that victory through faith in him. Father, we pray today by your spirit that you would enable, you enable us to believe, you enable us to remember and cling to the sure hope the abundant peace, the abundant joy that we have through faith in Christ, through, through the victory he won by his resurrection. We pray by your spirit that you would enable many more people to believe today, those who have not known you, 
that they would come to know you today through, through the, the testimony of your word through many churches gathering online all across the world today. God, we pray that you would move in a mighty way, that you would give many hope, unshakable hope and life in you and that it would transform our lives in every way to live for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. You may have a seat wherever you're at. Um, well, Luke's account of, of the resurrection shows us that, that we are meant to marvel, but often we doubt. And that thinking deeply on the empty tomb can move us to marvel. Uh, that's the framework we're going to kind of use to walk through this passage this morning. Uh, so first, we are meant to marvel. And I need to apologize right away. I'm sorry, kids, when I, when I keep using this word marvel, I am in no way referring to any of the Avengers, uh, no comic book superheroes, but rather I'm saying that we are meant to marvel. We are meant to be amazed. We are meant to be awestruck. And we know this to be true in a general sense, right? Because, because we do marvel all the time. We're amazed by excellence and beauty in, in any number of things all of the time. When you listen to, to really good music performed by exceptionally gifted and talented musicians, it, it's so beautiful, it moves you, right? It moves you. You marvel at it. Uh, you see beautiful art in at a, at an art gallery. You remember those? We used to go to places like that. Um, you, you see beautiful art and it moves you to marvel at it. Uh, you read books and stories written by gifted authors and, and those wonderful stories, they, they move you to marvel at them. We watch the world's greatest athletes do things that, that we couldn't even dream about being able to do. And we marvel, we're awestruck we marvel at the beauty of creation. You know, the first time that you get, maybe get to look out at the expanse of the Rocky Mountains on a, on a ski slope. That was my experience. And just take in the, the sheer majesty of those mountains. It's, it's breathtaking. Or, or the first time you see the ocean. We marvel. I don't need to spend a lot of time here making, making a case because that, that we're meant to marvel because in the general sense, we understand that we do it all the time in so many ways. Uh, but the text is saying that we're specifically meant to marvel at the empty tomb of Jesus. We're meant to marvel at the resurrection. And while it's certainly true that, that all should marvel at the resurrection, the way Luke writes this account, the emphasis is here on the fact that believers should marvel. Believers should marvel at the empty tomb. Followers of Jesus are meant, to, are meant to marvel at the resurrection. Earnest and devoted followers are meant to marvel. Like these women that we see in the account who are the first to discover the empty tomb and witness the risen Christ. Here they are before dawn on the first day of the week. This is the first day, Sunday, right? Right after the Sabbath, after the, the day of rest. At the very first opportunity they have before dawn, they are already prepared with the spices to, to kind of complete the, the burial preparation uh, for Jesus' body. And, and they're on it. They're there. They display how devoted they were to following the Lord by their actions here. And there's a, another earnest devo and devoted follower who's kind of present yet unnamed in the passage. And that is this man by the name of Theophilus. 
Uh, Luke writes his gospel account, in fact, in the form of a letter to this man, Theophilus. And Luke writes his account as a, as a historical account after investigating all the facts he could find about Jesus. And then he sends those facts and his findings in this personal letter to Theophilus, as we read in Luke 1.4, so that you, Theophilus, may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke, Luke writes his account to encourage Theophilus in his faith and to encourage many other devoted followers of Christ as well. Earnest followers of Jesus are meant to marvel at the empty tomb. But so are hesitant followers, like the apostles. I remember the women, they remained, they were there at the resurrection. They were coming to the empty tomb while the the apostles all scattered and ran. And the the apostles here are hesitant followers we see in the passages. They, They dismiss the first report. Uh, of the resurrection is just simply a fable, an idle tale. And Peter, Peter, remember him following his last personal interaction with Jesus that consisted of him denying that he knew Jesus three times. He too is a hesitant follower in this moment. But hesitant followers like the apostles, like Peter, are meant to marvel at the empty tomb as well. Actually, everyone is meant to marvel at the resurrection. If we marvel at, at beautiful art and great music, if we, if we marvel at the majesty of creation and exceptional athletic talent, then we should certainly marvel at the resurrection, at the reality that Jesus was crucified on Friday, that on Friday he died a brutal death on the cross and, and to confirm that he was truly dead, that he wasn't simply taking a nap On the cross, a Roman soldier took a spear and pierced his side, puncturing his heart, and water and blood flowed out of his body. Jesus died. He was buried. But on Sunday, he is risen. The rest of Luke 24 goes on to show Jesus appearing to his disciples. He's teaching them. He's eating with them, resurrected, alive. If anything makes us marvel, certainly the resurrection should. We are meant to marvel, but often we doubt. Certainly those who don't believe, those who don't follow Jesus, doubt the empty tomb. Uh, They dismiss it as a myth or a fable. And maybe uh, you're tuning in and that's what you think too. Uh, That the resurrection, uh, it's just a feel-good story but nothing more. It's merely the invention of of men. But the Bible presents the resurrection of Jesus Christ as historical fact. It's written as history with detail made up stories wouldn't think to include. The first witnesses to the resurrection were the women followers of Jesus. In a time when the testimony of women was not admissible in in a court of law, if someone were, were making this up, Surely they wouldn't choose to have the least credible witnesses be the very first witnesses. Paul lists off other witnesses to the risen Christ in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 5 through 8. He says there, and he appeared, Jesus appeared to Cephas. 
That's Peter. And then to the 12, the 12 apostles. Then he appeared to, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul's point in, in, in listing these people out is to say, here are the witnesses to the resurrected Christ. Most of them at the time he's writing this, he says, are still alive. So if, if you don't want to take my word for it, go talk to them. They'll tell you about what they witnessed. Now clearly you and I, we can't go talk to any of them. But we have their testimony in the Bible. We, we have the testimony of their changed lives. The testimony of, of many of their deaths, that they were martyred. Many of them martyred for their faith. And refusing to recant or deny the resurrection of Jesus, even as they were brutally executed. In the end, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you doubt the resurrection, all I can really do today is just encourage you to doubt your doubts. I, I can simply challenge you to consider the fact that you're probably not as objective as you think you are. And the evidence of the resurrection gives you good reason to consider it to think on it, to investigate it. And so my prayer is that, that you'll do that. And, and my, my confidence, my hope is that if you will do that, Jesus himself will enable you to believe, to get past those doubts and to trust him, to believe in the resurrection. But even more than the skeptics and unbelievers who doubt the resurrection, the point of this passage is that believers often doubt it as well. When the women arrive and discover the empty tomb, it says in verse 4 that they were perplexed about it. And, and this, this Greek word translated as perplexed also carries with it the meaning of experiencing like, great serious anxiety, right? To, to be anxious, to, to be in doubt. They don't expect to find an empty tomb. They, they don't expect to find the dead now living. Likewise, the apostles, when they first hear of the empty tomb in verse 11, they, they assume that any thought of the resurrection must be an idle tale, a fable. The passage shows us that believers can doubt the resurrection too. And maybe that surprises you, that, that Christians might sometimes doubt the resurrection and wonder if it's true. But the passage shows us that sometimes we do. Maybe, maybe we don't always doubt it in the same way the skeptic or an unbeliever does. Uh, but, but no less, we, we can still doubt the resurrection. And, and in fact, many of us doubt it often. We can doubt the resurrection by assuming that the finished work of Christ is not enough to cover our own sin against God. Right? If you, you believe in Jesus, you claim to be a Christian, but you feel like your sin is too much. Like you, you went too far, right? That even though Jesus lived the perfect life and he willingly exchanged that life to die on the cross in your place for your sins, even though he took the full cup of God's wrath poured out for the sin of the world in your place, even though you believe that he did that and even though you believe that the tomb is empty and that he is risen, but somehow you still feel your sin is different. Your sin is too big. Your sin is too personal. That what Jesus has won by his resurrection is not for you. That you have to do something to make up for it. That you, you have to add your work to his. This is a way of doubting. 
the resurrection, even while believing in it. If you don't think that what Jesus did was, was enough for God to accept you and forgive you, then you're doubting the resurrection and what it actually means. That's, that's one way to doubt it. Another way is to be so overcome by the things of this world that you forget it. That you forget it. Or you fail to let the truth of it really impact the way you live. For example, let's say there's a global pandemic. Right? There's a disease with no vaccine, no cure, spreading like wildfire throughout our world and killing people. And while you believe in Jesus, and while you believe in the resurrection, you believe that he is risen and alive, you are now so crippled with fear, fear of death, that you can barely breathe. You're, you're now so afraid that you, you fear making eye contact or even speaking to another human being. You're obsessed beyond reason with being as prepared and as safe as you possibly can, doing everything you can do to control this and stave off death. Now, now don't hear me saying in that that we should not be taking this moment seriously, that we shouldn't be wise. Uh, you, you, you absolutely should be wise and you absolutely should take it seriously. And we should absolutely continue to love our neighbors by, by staying home and, and practicing social distancing and only going out for essential needs, essential groceries and, and such. But, but there's a difference between loving your neighbor and honoring your government and seeking to care for your neighbor's health and your own versus an all-out anxiety about this virus being the utter end of you. If we are so overcome by fear of our physical death, then we are doubting the resurrection and what it means. We're doubting the words of Jesus himself. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what Jesus says to a dear friend. Friends, do you believe this? Do you believe that? The text makes clear that, that the biggest reason we, we tend to doubt the resurrection is that we forget about it. As the angels appear to the women in the empty tomb, they say to them, they say to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? I mean, in other words, they're sort of saying to these, these ladies, uh, hello, right? Uh, you don't go looking for someone who's alive in a graveyard. That's not where they tend to be. What are you doing here? And then they continue in verses six and seven, and they say, he, Jesus, is not here, but has risen. Remember, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. The reason we so often doubt the resurrection or deny its implication, implications is that we forget. We fail to remember what it means that Jesus is alive. We fail to remember in such a way that, that it gives shape to our lives. And, and I want to be clear with you that I'm not trying to be insensitive or deny the, the gravity of this moment that we're in. I know very well there are people who may be joining in with us 
this morning who, who, who very much are walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now. Grieving loss. And I may not know your situation, but, but I do have some understanding. Right? This past May, I, I lost one of my dearest friends in a car accident. And just this past week, one of my wife's dearest friends from college and a good friend of mine uh, just was diagnosed with brain cancer. And it's, it's not good news. A seminary professor uh, I, I've taken uh, for a couple classes, daughter has been on a ventilator all week in a hospital in Louisville. Sickness, disease, death, all of it absolutely sucks. It's terrible. And even more than I can relate to you, Jesus understands. God understands. Jesus who marched through the valley of the shadow of death on your behalf and rose victorious so that he might give you life in the face of death. Sickness, death, and disease, all, all of this is terribly painful to walk through. But, but the resurrection means that none of it is the final word for those who are in Christ. And none of it needs to rob us of hope and even peace and even joy in thinking about what Jesus has won for us by his life, death, and resurrection. We are meant to marvel, but often we doubt. And we doubt because we forget. And that means we need to remember. We need to remember, which means we constantly need to be thinking on Jesus and, and what he's done and what that means for us. It's thinking on the empty tomb that moves us to marvel. And that's what we see in this passage the women, they're, they're perplexed, they're anxious, they're doubting. And the angels remind them what Jesus has told them. And they remember. And they remember. And they run and they tell the apostles. And then there's Peter. There's Peter. Right? If you struggle with thinking that your sin is too much, your sin is too great, think about Peter. Remember and imagine what, what he must been, have been going through in this moment. What, what, what he's walking through is he hears about the empty tomb. The last time Peter saw Jesus, his dear friend, his Lord, he was denying that he knew Jesus three times to save his own life. The last time he saw Jesus, Jesus' eyes locked with his as Peter betrayed his Lord. The last time Peter saw Jesus, that's the last time he saw him. And then Jesus died without any opportunity for Peter to apologize, to try to seek to make that right. Perhaps Peter has been running through his betrayal in his mind over and over and over since that moment. Perhaps he's wept again and again, absolutely crushed by what he did. Maybe he's kept this to himself, kept it secret from the other disciples, and he's, he's, he's simply in private, secretly condemning himself daily. Maybe because of this, he couldn't bring himself to speak up and disagree with the other apostles when they didn't believe the testimony of the women. I, I don't know. But what we do know is that Peter did not wait after he heard their testimony. He didn't casually walk to the tomb. He didn't hesitate at all. He ran 
at once to see for himself what, if what they were saying was true. And he saw the empty tomb. He saw the burial cloths lying there as if Jesus' body simply passed through them. He saw, he considered, he thought on what he witnessed and he marveled. And while you and I, we, we can't experience what these first witnesses experienced that first Easter, while well, 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 we can't go and speak with them in person, what, what we do have is their testimony. We do have their testimony. What we have before us is the testimony of those women, those who first discovered the empty tomb. We have the testimony of the angels recorded here in scripture telling us that Jesus Christ is risen. We have the testimony of Peter and the apostles throughout the entirety of the New Testament. We see how the resurrection absolutely changed their lives. We can see that the resurrection was more than enough to cover Peter's sin against Jesus, to cover his denial, to cover his very personal betrayal of the Lord. You know, if Peter were here today and did what he did, a friend of mine who shared this many times, but, but we would never let Peter preach in our churches after what he did. He would never have an opportunity to preach again. But Jesus fixes Peter breakfast and asks him three times, do you love me? And he restores Peter. He restores Peter. The next thing we see is cowardly Peter transformed into this bold preacher of the gospel who refuses to be silent about the risen Christ in the face of death. History records how these, these first followers of Jesus went, went to their deaths courageously, many of them martyred for their faith, proclaiming the truth of the risen Christ, trusting in what that meant for their own life. The Apostle Paul sums up their mindset and view of the resurrection in Philippians 1.21 when he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What this shows us is that to truly encounter the risen Christ is to have your life totally transformed. That as we trust in Christ and think on the empty tomb, it moves us to marvel. It frees us from the tyranny of sin, from the tyranny of that evil trinity of fear, shame, and guilt. Jesus frees us from the condemnation of our sin because he took our condemnation in our place on his cross. He bore our shame and our guilt there in our place. So we need not fear. Jesus has taken all of God's wrath for you. You need not fear. And he extends to you instead grace, favor, forgiveness. He gives you his perfect righteousness to cover you, to be your very own. He secures for you your, secures for you your adoption as God's beloved child. And he gives you life eternal life that cannot be taken from you. Death has lost its sting. Jesus has defeated sin and death once and for all by his death and resurrection. And by faith in him, he shares that victory freely with you. The empty tomb means that in the midst of this time of uncertainty, you can be certain that Jesus is alive. It means that even in the face of, of deep anxiety, you can now know peace. It means that in the face of fear, you can have unshakable hope. It means that even in the face of death itself, in Christ, you now have life. That hope 
is available to anyone who would put their hope and trust in Jesus. It's available to anyone who, who would simply turn from living for themselves to follow Christ, to trust in him, to make him Lord and Savior of their life. If you don't know Jesus today, if you're wrestling with doubt and desperate for hope right now, what would it mean for you to simply confess your unbelief to Jesus this morning? What would, it, what would it look like for you to ask him to give you faith? To pray to him, to ask for it. He invites you to simply turn toward him and follow him. If you're a believer in Christ, you believe in Jesus. You believe that he's alive. You believe in the empty tomb, but you're overwhelmed right now. And the circumstances of this world are making it hard for you not to doubt. May it encourage you to know that even in Luke 24, Peter and the apostles, they still needed more time. They still needed more time. They needed more time with the word of God. They needed more time with the people of God. So it's okay if you need more time right now too. More time to look into God's word, to, to let it fill your hearts and your minds to press in more deeply to God's people in community. We are, we are not meant to live in isolation. Not even introverts. None of us are meant to live in isolation. So, so even in this time, let us press into God's word and God's people. Even if that means that we gather together on Zoom calls and Google Hangouts, whatever, to share our struggles, to remind one another of who Jesus is, of what he's done to remind one another that the tomb is empty and that we have hope and peace and joy in Christ now. To remind one another of the wonder of what the resurrection means. To pray for one another. To believe it and be transformed by it. Let's do that. Let's, let's help one another in this season in every way possible to think on the empty tomb and all that it means. And may Jesus move us to marvel abounding in hope and peace and joy now and always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to live and die and be raised for us. We, we thank you that you, you know what it is, Lord, to face death to walk through the valley of shadow of the shadow of death. You know what it is to lose loved ones, dear friends. You sympathize with us in our weakness. Oh, we thank you that you love us. And then even more than the sympathy that you're able to extend to us, you extend to us your sure victory over sin and death. And you give us hope and peace and joy and you give us life in you. Lord, may we cling to Jesus and may we cling to the life that we have in him and may we cling to, to you, Lord, in such a way that you transform us by your grace, you transform us by your spirit, that even in this time where so many are anxious and fearful, we can live with, with peaceful confidence and hope in Christ. And we can extend that hope to others who need to hear the good news, to hear the message of salvation. Lord, may you enable us even now 
even when we're separated from one another in so many ways, to press into one another and to, to just be in awe of you and be moved to worship, be moved to, to celebrate and be joyful at all we have in Christ. That has not been taken from us. That cannot be taken from us. No matter what we go through, no matter where we are. If you're in Christ, we're in Christ, we have life. May we cling to that truth. May it shape our lives in every way. For your glory and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.